Excuse me, can we ask you a question? Yeah. yeah. Um, based completely on assumptions, if you had to guess my sexuality, mm. what would you guess? Maybe like bisexual? No? What about her? Mm. I don't know, I'm maybe going lesbian for you. I would say you're both straight, but... Life of Bi. I'm Elle Potter. And I'm Mary Higgins. And this month we took to the streets to find out if you can spot a bi in the wild. I'd say straight as well. Evidently, it's not that easy. Nothing, like, this is so bad, but like nothing says anything else. So I guess my mm. automatic assumption is most people are straight, but that's mm-hmm. obviously bollocks. Yeah. I say straight. Great. Yeah. Why is that? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, you know. Is that yeah. because you're straight? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you guys both look very like Shoreditch. FYI, we don't live in Shoreditch. We're way too grubby for Shoreditch. Really like knees or ankles. Or really like ankles? Or knees. Wow. You, oh, you went right. for fetish. Bisexual. <laughs> I'd say bye. Bye? Yeah. yeah. What about this person? Lesbian! <laughs> um, just normal. I don't know what the word is. Just you, you fancy boys. And right next to this casually homophobic man... Normal! Normal. Oh. Right next to him was another woman. A straight woman. Well, we assume she was straight. Because of what she said, and it's pretty unclear. So if you're multitasking right now, just stop, just pause a second, because you're going to need both ears. I don't know if I agree with Layman's sexuality based on Did you catch that? What she said was, I don't know if I agree with labelling someone's sexuality based on looks, personally. That's my opinion, so I don't want to give an answer to you. But she said it in a really annoying way. (laughs) (laughs) I think that she was just trying to be woke, um, but it really annoyed you, didn't it, Mig? Yeah, it fucking pissed me off. (laughs) I had huge anger almost instantly. Which, to be fair, I do normally associate with someone telling a truth, as in... There was a bit of me which was like, oh, yeah, obviously, obviously we're going to push it further beyond the assumptions. Yeah, like this is just a vox pop. And I think there's a bit of me that felt like almost irritated that she was basically putting us down for even asking the question. And then that's why I was like, well, she must be straight because I don't know a queer on earth that doesn't enjoy like flexing their gaydar mm. because that's like half the fun, isn't mm. it? And also you need to... You kind of, growing up queer, you learn to hone your gaydar and it becomes like a fun thing to do. I just thought there's like no queer person in the world that wouldn't like relish that question in all its stupidness. Like it's a <laughs> stupid question, but like that's the fun of it, which is like, well, how the fuck do we judge people based on how they dress? Queer fashion is a lot of it is based and has historically been based on little signals to the people around you mm. back from when it was like illegal to still now, which is being like, hey, I've got a ring in my septum. 
Mm. So that means I'm game for, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I've got a handkerchief in my pocket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this week we're asking, can you judge a buy by its cover? Stay tuned for a potted history of androgyny and an interview with a fat activist and bisexual author, Bethany Ratter. But first, we turn to the internet for bisexual fashion advice. <laughs> I saw one um, where it was all like bisexuals wear like high waisted jeans. But that's and just belts what people do. And yeah, but it was literally based on. This is why these things are so annoying. It's like it was like one single blogger who was basically saying that bi style was however the fuck she dresses. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't like the way they dressed. <laughs> so I was like, no thanks. It's funny that all these things, all these um, things that exist, invariably written by by people are um really prescriptive and shit i think it's clickbait i think like you know any any of those things like what harry potter character are you yeah obviously cancelled what like what whatever are you we love them because i did one the other day on a website for curly hair it was like what kind of curly hair do you have and you're like oh my god please tell me i would love to know every single factoid i think it's just i think it people just click on them and that's why and that's why people post them because like you want to be affirmed or something and even if they're not accurate but they can't be accurate they literally can't be accurate because there's no such thing but it's quite fun to think about it and pretend that there's a vibe yeah but in all honesty there isn't really um should i show you one of these yeah yeah do you want to do one yeah do one together um this is one it's from a magazine called paired life Mm -hmm. um which is an online relationship magazine which presumably is all about monogamy horrible name (laughs) (laughs) horrible nom horrible nom horrible nom 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 nom. okay um here we go then okay Uh, the first one is do you wear cuffed jeans uh, yeah i pretty much roll them all up yeah you know what recently i've been unrolling my jeans have you noticed i have noticed <laughs> how does that feel how does pretty, that feel for you pretty big does it feel pretty straight pretty big moment <laughs> yeah well Who i think i think dream, i look jeans, gayer frankly. when i i look gayer when i have unrolled jeans now yeah. i think See, what's that even mean? I'll tell you what else it is, is I do like, and this is, I guess, quite bye, is to roll up my jeans because I want them to be sitting on the top of my Doc Martin boots, not below. Very interesting, because my next question is, um, do you wear Converse? No. Well, yeah. No. Uh, Converse are an incredibly successful international brand. Uh, do you know what? Actually, do you know what I would consider wearing is those new Converse, the ones that have the spiky the, ones. They've basically borrowed monster shoe vibes yeah, and yeah, yeah. slapped them onto a Converse, and those are quite cool. That your partner has. My partner has them, yeah. <gasps> oh my god, this I like is them. the um, the urge to merge. No, no. That's the urge to merge. No, no, no. Yeah, but what? No, what he's done is the urge to merge. Oh, he's become you. Okay, next one. Uh huh. Um, do you have a bisexual bob? Nope. Nope. Now, I'm actually quite, I'm quite pleased with my, my um, haircut at the moment. Because it's a Do long... you want to describe, or maybe I should describe yeah, it. Yeah, you go. So I'm looking at Mary. She's got long, red, curly hair. I know, guys. <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> and she's got an undercut that runs all the way under her ears, round the back of the nape of her neck and all the way up to the other side. Just a little one. 
<clears throat> and she recent recently got a fringe. It's a kind of like shag style mullet, I believe. The technical term is shallot. Mm. I would say that the bisexual Bob has been replaced by the bisexual shallot. Interesting. These days. I think that's probably true. However, you have got a bisexual I've Bob. I've got a bi Bob. And you've rocked a bi Bob for many a year. I as have. In, we've obviously gone in and out of it, but... I still think of it as your default haircut. As in, like, if left alone, that's what would naturally happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just stops growing at a certain point around my cheekbone. <laughs> You've got very, very short bob, very short fringe. Yeah, it's sort of, we described this earlier as being like, it's in the middle. It's like the most in the middle of cut, in the middle cut, isn't it? I'll come to my theory at the end okay. because... I think because suspense there's a general (laughs) well I just think it might make sense of these stupid quizzes okay okay Okay. um the next one is do you wear checked shirts nope I hate check Elle has a checked shirt (laughs) which I literally have right next to me right now that you look really good in I don't like check I'm gonna say it I think checks are shit (laughs) (laughs) Out of all the patterns there are, it's my least fave. I don't think I'm a particularly lumberjack gay. Do you know what I mean, mm. I don't really have that vibe. Also, also, isn't there that stereotype that lesbians wear flannel? Yeah, yeah. So, like, when did... Why? What? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that Ah, next one is the, uh, perhaps the stupidest, <laughs> which is do you wear pink, purple and blue? Ugh. No. Now the truth is, there was a time in my life where I would wear those colours and at the same time. Yeah, and you looked amazing in them. Well, it was a very specific era of my life. Yeah. A very pastel era. My God, there was a pastel era for us all, regardless of sexuality. (laughs) It took us many years to get out of it. That's the thing. What are they saying? Like, you see someone wearing pink blue and what's the other one <laughs> i think it's absurd the idea that just because you're a sexuality you would wear the colors of the flag <laughs> support for this podcast comes from our patreon if you like life of bi then please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash life of bi we're just looking for the price of a pint or a cup of coffee a month By becoming a patron, you're putting money behind the work that you like and helping us to continue making it. We consider our patrons our collaborators, so if you support us for any amount, you can also write in to suggest topics for us to cover. And if we decide to research your topic, we'll dedicate the episode to you. Thank you. We couldn't do this without you. So Elle tells you theory, you simply must. (laughs) (laughs) Having teased it. Yes, I have this theory, which is in all of these listicles slash quizzes about what bisexuals look like. Mm -hmm. There is this honing in on a middle ground. Uh I'm just going to elaborate on this briefly by bringing in this writer from America in the 90s. Is this who the theory actually belongs to? No, I'm I'm using her theory to support mine. Absolutely, I'm sure. So this is a writer called Rachel Cohen. Um, And she had this idea, jokingly, that bisexuals should do things that lesbians do, but by halves. So if lesbians (laughs) wear big Doc Martens and wear, in the 90s in America, leather jackets and have unshaven armpits, then she says, 
Bi women should wear short black boots rather than big ones. Chelsea boots. Only shave under one armpit or wear their biker jackets every other day. And this got me thinking that in a lot of the markers of bisexual style, there's this like mystical middle ground Mm. that's like you're not quite gay and you're not quite straight. So, for example, the bisexual bob. A classic halfway house. Exactly. It's not a short haircut. Uh Uh-huh. But it's not a long haircut. Yeah, yeah. It's in the middle. Yeah, which is funny because I guess what you're saying, I mean, this is where it sort of blends, doesn't it, between like sexuality slash like gender presentation because mm. because her vision is sort of like jokey, satirical, like what would a bisexual look like? But there's also the mystical middle ground in the sort of like hallowed androgynous section, which is meant to be like, mm. you know, that image is meant to be like the perfectly balanced mask and femme in the most um popularly attractive way mm. that that's sort of the pinnacle of hotness is a people like blend yeah of mask and femme tilda swinton leonardo dicaprio timothy chalamet they like a brief history of androgyny androgyny, androgyny. ancient greece In the classical world, the figure of the androgyne, from andrus for man and goon for woman, is seen to transcend the binary, a perfect state in which the masculine and feminine cancel one another out, often in the form of a little tiny nymph. 1800s. Androgynous dressing was a crucial part of the early women's rights movement. American activist Elizabeth Smith Miller is one of the first women to wear a pair of trousers publicly. But she wore them under a skirt. Uh... World War One. Couture pioneers like Coco Chanel bring in the flapper style with wide leg trousers and a chic bob. Hollywood bicon Marlene Dietrich started going to movie premieres in suits and trousers. <clears throat> 1930s, psychoanalyst Carl Jung publishes The Hermaphroditism of the Child, archaic term, conflating androgyny and bisexuality. From the dawn of history, man has had a notion of his double gender. Hmm. 1970s. Welcome to the stage, Prince, Grace Jones, Sinead O'Connor and Dr. Frankenfurter. Androgyny is sealed into fashion history forever. 1990s. Post-Titanic, the movie, not the boat, all the tweens go nuts for Leo DiCaprio. It seems to be that androgynous means skinny, androgynous means white, and androgynous means uh, masculine. This is Jade Fox. She's a queer YouTuber who makes video think pieces on LGBT and popular culture. And because we have been so consumed and saturated with this very specific version of what androgyny is, you got bitches like me out here that aren't white, aren't um, masculine, at least in the body, and not skinny. I know that I may be skinny by society's definitions though. I'm recognizing my privilege there. Um, 
Y'all got us thinking that we are not androgynous people. When the fact of the matter is, is that these conversations uh, involving gender nonconforming people, these conversations involving non-binary people started in black and brown communities, started in the ballroom. So how the fuck did we get here? Where when I Google androgynous person, I see cis white women with maleficent cheekbones built like rulers. I mean, truly everything Jade has just said there is deeply fascinating and we must do an episode dedicated to bisexuality in the ballroom. Yes, please. But for now, Els, we're going to focus on the fatness because this is what you have always wanted. I mean, since series one, you've wanted to talk about this. So I'm just going to say, take it away. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure, but like, yeah. Well, I'm especially interested in this because I've gone through a bit of a like fashion transition recently where Mm. I've been trying to dress in a more... um, I guess an an, more of an androgynous, gender-neutral way. Mm-hmm. But because I'm a chubby person, um, there's not a lot out there um, to really choose from. And researching for this um, podcast was fucking great because when we came across Jade's video, I was like, yes, all androgynous fashion wear is modelled by thin white women. Mm-hmm. Um and Often even white men. yeah and you kind of think well maybe academia will be free from this fat phobia but even when you look into academic research on queerness it's so fat phobic so i hate to do this but susan sontag's essay notes on camp really hammers home for me why do you hate to do this because i think susan sontag is often held up as this like incredible academic and rightly so um i've recently heard her being absolutely slated by another very cool queer academic so oh really yeah well that's great to know yeah don't worry about <laughs> it in esther newton made me gay which is like a biopic about this uh not philanthropist anthropologist anthropologist <laughs> gay queer anthropologist who was like the first person to make the first person to basically like she invented queer studies mm-hmm. esther newton with this essay called mother camp and then there's footage of her attending She's like looking at the intro to the, I think it's the Met exhibition on camp. Mm. And it starts with the classic image of Susan Sontag and this bit, the definition of camp. And she's pointing at the museum wall being like, because it's like, says like, has like queer tones or is Mm. referenced in queer. And she's like, it's not a bit of queer. It is queer. She's like, I can't believe how much it's been erased from the idea of camp, basically. Basically, I think we can attack (laughs) attack (laughs) well there's this one section of notes on camp where susan sontag writes about the androgyne she says the androgyne is certainly one of the great images of camp sensibility examples the swooning slim sinuous figures of pre-raphaelite painting and poetry the thin, flowing, sexless bodies mm. in Art Nouveau prints and posters. The haunting, androgynous vacancy behind the perfect beauty of Greta Garbo. Yeah. She's constantly hammering home this thinness without doing any unpacking of, like, why that is such um, a supposedly... What's the word I'm looking for? Exalted. Exalted form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see that would be annoying. And to be clear, Els, what you're, when you're talking about um, your battle with this dressing 
in a slightly more gender neutral or masculine way. Yeah. You're unfolding, you're folding into that, the idea of your bisexual presentation. I guess. Or is it way more to do with gender? Oh, God, that's a big question. It's good to talk about, though. We can talk about another I one. I just need to think about it. It's just that they, they have a habit of crossing over, don't they, sexuality and gender, and sometimes yeah. it's helpful to, like, slip them apart. They are connected because when you are a chubby, curvy, fat woman, your sexuality is always red on your body um, or your sexual availability or unavailability. Yeah, yeah. So if I wanted to be attractive to people as a chubby woman i would have to dress in a certain way which is quite feminine because i see my curves need to be presented in a certain way in order to be um classic so like a heteronormative gaze yeah to the male gaze yeah but even i i don't think that when i was dressing in a more femme way i don't think that i was just thinking about attracting men Mm -mm. i think that often even queer people I was trying to attract, I still wanted to have a body that was readably attractive. And I sometimes think when you have a fat body, the only way to be readably attractive is to be cinched, to be have curves in the right places. Um, it's only recently that I've been questioning why I think that is the only way I can be attractive. Right. So what when you put on these more masculine clothes what is it that it makes you feel is it like a sense of aha or is it a sense of dysphoria or like is it kicking you off the way you would hope i think the crucial thing is that there's no like blanket response that i have to wearing certain clothes it's like i'm so like i'm so yo-yo-y with my body that means i'm so yo-yo-y with my clothes and how they make me feel so day to day there's not really a rhyme or reason so far as i can tell on what really makes me feel good (laughs) yeah i mean that's beautiful in a way i mean obviously it's kind of like in some ways it's fucking annoying to not know what to put on in the morning and it feel like really uh unpredictable on the flip side it's fucking glorious to dress Mm. fine one day and butch the next like there doesn't have to be a dichotomy of like identity it is just a way of performing your gender yeah and that can be fun and flip i think crucially the research in this podcast has helped because i had always conceived of androgyny as a masculine thing Uh uh-huh and so like i have non-binary friends and i've wondered about my own gender fluidity and thought i'm not like them Mm -hmm. because they are small Mm-hmm. They are often quite flat-chested anyway. They look pretty mask. And so in my head, that is what someone who is having a gender journey looks like. And so I look at my own body and I'm like, you don't really fit the mould of like someone who can think about these things. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you can. But you can because androgyny has to have masculine and feminine in it. Yeah we've just misunderstood it's just been it's just turned into something else well it's so funny because in series one we looked at like androcentrism in relation to uh sexuality 
quick definition androcentrism andro means man centrism duh means like the center <laughs> and the idea of androcentrism is that um we assume looking at bisexual if you meet a bisexual man the popular culture assumes that actually he's gay i.e he will eventually slide towards men mm-hmm. and if popular culture looks at a woman and she says she's bi we think yeah babe you're really straight yeah. So this idea of you sliding towards men, and that's quite interesting to talk about it in terms of like um, gender representation, that non-binary, gender non-conforming, androgynous looks are, do tend to be more masculine. Mm. And we don't really count. There's nothing, there's apparently nothing neutral about femme. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's nothing neutral about femme because even... <sighs> Sorry to get really specific about it, but even like <laughs> AMAB non-binary dressed femme, you would not call that androgynous. You would call that femme. Yeah. Even though it's exactly the same. Do you know what I mean? Is that exactly I the same? No, exactly what you mean. Have we uh, solved anything there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can hope so. <laughs> when I was like, you know, dating, going out a lot back in the day, I was in this kind of um, moment of dressing quite birch. This is Bethany Ratter. I've been a huge fan of hers for about a decade now. And I recently recorded the audiobook for her latest book, which is called Welcome to Your Life. You should read it. I was like, oh, this is physically very comfortable for me. Like, not just kind of emotionally comfortable, but like physically comfortable. Like I'm not getting like chub rub because I'm wearing a dress. Like I'm wearing like jeans. And um, I've always had this quite like modest style. Um, Like I don't tend to wear things that are like tight or short or like physically uncomfortable. And I feel like leaning more into a more like butch style back in the day then made me kind of understand that that is how I prefer to dress, even if what I'm wearing is not actually, like, in itself that butch. But as a fat person, Bethany's preference for comfort goes against the grain of the fashion industry. Plus-size style was very, very, um, like, feminine-oriented. Like, it was really, like, forcing you towards, like, pin-up-ish style, which was not for me at all. Also, I, at that time, had very short hair, and I just felt like I didn't feel like I looked right in a lot of that very, like, pin-up-y stuff. And I did not really feel like that was relevant to me. Like, that just wasn't how I wanted to dress. Um, Do you think it's harder for chubby and fat women to be read as androgynous because obviously you know anytime I'm thinking about my clothing choices in relation to sexuality I can only ever do that thinking through the tandem lens of like being fat like I those two things are completely inseparable for me the the more like uh edgy contemporary uh more kind of like neutral minimalist brands seem to just have no interest in catering for plus size women um and i don't really know why and then it pushes you into this like vicious cycle where it's like i can't get the clothes that i want because no one will make them because they think i won't wear them because they have never made them for me so i can't prove that i would buy them
Support for this podcast comes from our Patreon. If you like Life of Bi, then please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash life of Bi. We're just looking for the price of a pint or a cup of coffee a month. By becoming a patron, you're putting money behind the work that you like and helping us to continue making it. We consider our patrons our collaborators, so if you support us for any amount, you can also write in to suggest topics for us to cover. And if we decide to research your topic, we'll dedicate the episode to you. Thank you. We couldn't do this without you. So my research rabbit hole got sort of like weirdly medical because I was typing in bisexual bodies. Okay. And what I kept turning up were these sort of social studies about BID, which is body image dissatisfaction, in different groups of cis women. It would be comparing body image dissatisfaction, which just basically means like your self-esteem, mm-hmm. like if you hate your body. You know, you know. Do you Don't hate it all? once a week or five times a week or like every moment of every day? Kind of questions. Yeah. Comparing them um, like lesbians and straight women. Okay. And bisexuals were largely invisible in these in most of these studies. There have been like a few of them, and obviously because of the kind of thing they are, they all the results contradict each other. Mm-hmm. But there was a much later study that was being like, hang on, we either group bisexuals with lesbians or we ignore them completely. Like maybe they have their own relationship with body image dissatisfaction. And that one depressingly found that like, it was like doubly worse (laughs) in all, in all respects, like more prone to eating disorders, more prone to, I think it called like erratic weight gain and loss. And the other one was, oh, you know, hating yourself. So... (laughs) (laughs) just like like obviously like i found like deeply depressing to read Mm. um are you okay now i'm absolutely fine thanks (laughs) thanks for checking in but the sort of like founding principle under all of these the theory that i think underlies all of these studies Mm. is this thing called objectification theory which was first coined in 1997 by these guys, Friedrich Skinner and Roberts. And their their idea being that basically if you put women in like a culture where like the media obsesses over them, mm. women will come to see themselves as objects, which is pretty interesting because way earlier than these these people, John Berger, have you, did you know of him and his ways of seeing documentaries? I hadn't until Before I told you mentioned. You. <laughs> They're like... He was really famous for like art writing, but it was pretty radical. And actually, mm-hmm. he made this whole series to the BBC. You literally cannot imagine them doing this now. It's like art theory based wow. over. And one of the episodes was specifically about women, seeing women in paintings. Men dream of women. Women dream of themselves being dreamt of. Men look at women. Women watch themselves being looked at. Which I just think is a much more poetic, beautiful way of describing objectification theory. That's essentially it, isn't it? Yes. You, like, see yourself. Women constantly meet glances which act like mirrors, reminding them of how they look or how they should look. Behind every glance is a judgment. Sometimes the glance they meet is their own, reflected back from a real mirror. This got me thinking, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it true that this because this obviously this is making me kick off a bit inside because I'm like, what? So you're saying that because I'm bi, I care about men, so I objectify myself more, so I hate myself more. 
Mm-hmm. And are we really saying, and I don't know because I'm not this, but like are we really saying that a butch gold star lesbian who's literally never cared about men therefore has no body image problems? As in like, is it all linked to objectification? And that suggests, I think those studies also suggest that it's only possible to be objectified by cis men. Yes. when Or at least a male gaze. Mm-hmm. I guess that could be like a non-binary mask gaze or a trans male gaze as well, because mm-hmm. I've definitely experienced, I think, I mean, firstly, I don't think objectification, it has historical drawbacks, but if it's thrown at you by someone you're interested in, it's not the worst, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, mm. I don't think. I think it can be hot. And I think yeah, I mean, sometimes when I was growing up and my friends would get catcalled, I'd be like, why aren't I getting objectified more? Yeah, <laughs> I think loads of middle-aged women feel like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think also what I was frustrated with reading all this, is I was like, my God, like the feminine and the femme, it's just painted as like the shittest way to be in all circumstances, which is like... The firmer you are, the worse you're going to feel about yourself. The more disempowered you are. Yeah, and also, like, the less gay you're going to look. Because that's a real problem, isn't it? Yeah. The erasure of femmes. Of femme lesbians. So true. And also, like, I also came across this thing, femme invisibility, which, bizarrely, I'd never heard of before. But I actually got me thinking that a lot of the time when we're talking, when you and I are talking about bi-visibility and being invisible as bi-people... Mm. actually sometimes again we are crossing we are conflating femme invisibility with bi-visibility sometimes because as we tested in our vox pops people aren't actually reading us as bi they're reading us as femme and that's why they assume that we're straight yes i was shocked to be read as femme Um, i thought that was wild i also couldn't believe that you got i honestly thought we were just going to think i was straight and you were gay and i was completely blown away by the the, only the two people that thought Mm. that you were bi and i was lesbian I wonder why. I wonder why. Because under the femme invisibility thing, you'd think that no one would guess you're a lesbian because you you have more of a femme... Well, I don't know. We have to unpack all these terms, don't we? Because I'm saying you have more of a femme appearance, but it's just because you have long hair. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I have short hair. Unfortunately... If you ask someone to unpack an assumption, they literally can't because, like, <laughs> like, it simply is an assumption. I don't know, maybe if we accidentally are some sort of, like, gender studies academic, mm. they would have been able to unpack their own assumption or they would have, you know, thrown coffee on us for asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> but people can't tell you. They just make a quick judgment and then, like, I don't know what it's based on. They honestly don't know because we're so conditioned to read things straight away in ways that we don't even understand yeah like when you said there i was like i was like is she is she about to say that um people read me as femme because i'm smaller than her? well i sometimes wondered that too but but that's but a then, contradiction to what we were saying yeah, about androgyny such, yeah, yeah yeah and it's such a you can really tie yourself in knots because i think oh i'm read as um butch because i'm bigger and I have shorter hair, but sometimes I'm read as more femme because I'm bigger mm. and I'm softer. We did once have somebody tell us when you meet us, you assume that L is more mask, more mask, and yeah. 
I'm more femme. And then the more you get to know us, you realise it's actually the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what that makes us. That makes us like a... Um, what's soft on the outside and hard on the inside? A coconut. Gorge. No more to say. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one final quote, but I don't know if it's going to fit. Yeah, go for it. Let's Let's finish the episode with a lovely quote. It's not lovely. Oh. <laughs> Let's finish the episode with a horrible quote. To leave, yeah, to get you just ticking. I just, and I think we're honestly just going to have to leave this here because it's a huge thing. Mm, that's okay. To be picked up at another time. I was recently given this amazing book by a mate of mine called um, Females by Andrea Longchu. And in it, it talks a lot about the Scum Manifesto by Valerie Solanus, who's the chick who shot Andy Warhol. Uh-huh. The thesis of this little book is that femaleness is a universal sex defined by self-negation, against which all politics, even feminist politics, rebels. Put more simply, everyone is female and everyone hates it. Some explanations are in order. For our purposes here, I'll define as female any psychic operation in which the self is sacrificed to make room for the desires of another. These desires may be real or imagined, concentrated or diffuse. A boyfriend's sexual needs, a set of cultural expectations, a literal pregnancy. But in all cases, the self is hollowed out, made into an incubator for an alien force. To be female is to let someone else do your desiring for you at your own expense. This means that femaleness while it hurts only sometimes, is always bad for you. I could cry. But it's fucking amazing because she's talking about femaleness. Like, she says everyone is female. She says there isn't a single person on earth that isn't female. Mm. Who doesn't have access to that Who is feeling. female. Wow. I think she's, she's like, it's a fundamental part of being human. Like, actually, her argument goes on to say that men are more female than women. Wow. It's honestly a wild ride. Maybe we should both read it and I've read do it. like a... Okay. <laughs> oh, oh. But yeah, you can catch up. <laughs> Maybe I can read it and we can discuss it on the podcast. The mini-sode. It's way more about gender, but it's pretty fucking interesting. I just like the more that we look at stuff like this, though, I, I, bisexuality is about gender. Wow. We can't ignore gender. No. Thanks for tuning in to Life of Bi. We'll be back in a month, if all goes to plan. In the meantime, Life of Bi was made, hosted and edited by us, Mary Higgins and Elle Potter. Music, sound design and production by Tom Foskett Barnes. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash life of bye big thanks to bethany rutter and jade fox and a shout out we've got to do it to the two gorgeous people who have supported us on patreon already Woo! and we only know one of them thank you to joanna and eros i just want to say it ain't over till the bisexual speech. <laughs>